0: Good afternoon. My name is Jimmy Kim and you are tuning in for the greatest show on the planet. My my name is Jimmy Kim and this is the Jimmy Kim show. Today we have a very special guest. His name is Eugene Vasera. He is a veteran professor and former nurse as well and he's done quite a quite a number of activities throughout his life, so he has a very fascinating story to share with us today. All right, Eugene so, can you introduce yourself to the listeners?
1: Well, thank you very much, Jimmy. It's an honor to be here on your show and a great opportunity to meet your uh, audience out there. Yes, my name is Eugene Vissera, uh Lieutenant Colonel retired, United States Army of 30 years service, also a nurse, and I've uh, enjoyed a number of years in nursing. I often tell people my first name is either Eugene or Gene. So if you see me down the hallway, you can say, hi, Gene. And that way you'll remember my name maybe a little easier.
0: Yeah, it makes it easier for sure. <laughs> hi, Gene. <laughs> righty.
1: Well, moving on, let me tell you, I really appreciate the opportunity to share with you some of my thoughts today because uh, it's a great opportunity today in our country for things to only get better.
0: Right.
1: And being 70 years old, I've seen a few things. It's not my first rodeo. I'm very grateful that I am a citizen of the United States of America. We have the greatest country, and for good reason, we have freedom. And freedom allows me to find happiness in my life. I mean, without freedom, you wouldn't be able to do whatever you want to do. You'd be told what to do if you're in a dictatorial country or some one-party state, and then you would be held to task to do what's expected of that organization. But in our country, you're free, and so you can do what you want. And then you can be happy. And I am, at 70 years of age, I feel very happy today, and I'm happy to be here.
0: Right, absolutely. That's <laughs> definitely a, something to be grateful for, living here in the United States, to have that, that freedom, as you said, and I feel the same way about being an American as well.
1: Well, let me start from the back and work forward. Sure. I think that's really more useful because currently I'm a retired individual. I enjoy my retirement immensely. But as I reflect back on my past, I see where I've learned and also where I've made mistakes. And I think an opportunity like this to speak with you and with your audience might give some insight so that they may not make the same mistakes that I did. And then also, they might be inspired to achieve as I have been blessed to achieve. So I'm going to share some things here with you today.
0: Looking forward to that, that wisdom.
1: My last military mission before retiring to Fort Living Room was something that was kind of out of the ordinary, it wasn't expected. So I originally retired from the military back in 2000 after service in Vietnam. During Vietnam, was the Vietnam era, not in the country. Then Desert Shield, Desert Storm, again, era. And I retired in 2000. But as you know, we had the global war on terror. And our country was in great need. So in 2008, I was tapped and asked if I would come back on active duty. Now most people don't think that that even happens, but it does in our military if you're a retiree. So I was asked if I would come back for another three years. So from 2008 to 2011, just a few years ago, I concluded my last tour of duty in the military, serving so that our force could be better prepared to do the good things that it needs to do. And being a nurse, I was able to work with individuals in the human dimension area. In fact, policies that we utilize today with our young troops who have issues with uh, PTS. In the Pentagon, we never said PTSD. In our opinion, no soldier or war fighter is disabled. Mm. So post-traumatic stress was a term that we would only use. And it was so that we could find the best way to make our veterans healthier. And that's something I've continued to do since leaving the service is work with all the different veterans organizations here in the Houston area. Uh, I'm a disabled veteran myself. In fact, I'm looking at you with only one eye. I'm blind in my right eye and other issues. But what's important is that we work together, American citizens, and veterans for the good of our nation together. And I think that's something that's very key to being happy. You know, you see so much polarization in our nation today and it's unfortunate. If we go back to the Constitution of the United States, that document is so amazing. In Article 4, not amendment, amendments are attached. Articles are within the Constitution. In Article 4, it has these words, preserve, protect and defend. Every American citizen has that duty to preserve our great nation as best as they can for all of our welfare. Protect, I think that really applies to everyone who's involved in those services such as police and fire, but also in our government organizations, elected officials, even those in the bureaucracy. They're preserving the nation, but defending the nation is something very unique, and that's what our veterans are the product of. You have to face the eye of the tiger on this planet. I always like to say there's good people, there's bad people, and there's evil people. Now, you can usually get along with bad people, I mean, if you negotiate, you can work things out, but you can't do that with evil people. Soldiers, sailors, airmen, Space Force, that's our newest service, Coast Guard, they go, so to speak, in front of the wire and they face the eye of the tiger and that tiger is often evil. And therefore, they have issues when they return and they have to work through them And that's how all citizens support our great nation, by working together. Of course, there's much fewer of the defenders. There's an old saying in the military, uh, 98% of the people are sheep, 1% are sheepdogs, and 1% are wolves. Hmm. Actually, I think there's a lot more wolves than 1%. And unfortunately today, Our military is quite small. As I said, uh, having served through Vietnam and Desert Shield, Desert Storm, just during the 1990s for Desert Shield, Desert Storm, uh, our Army was twice the size of what it is today, and today we're growing smaller. Our Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Space Force all put together is barely, it's a little over one half of 1% of the American population. So that's less than 1% sheepdogs, and it's growing smaller all the time. I wish that we could find more of those who have served and would be motivated to to protect our country as well as having defended. And remember, I mentioned politicians and the like. We need more of them involved. And to some degree, we're seeing that. Our Wounded Warrior Project, of which I'm a member here in Houston, the young men and women there, so motivated, even though they have had some very awful injuries, are continuing to serve in the community and in building homes and taking care of projects and the like, so that there is an understanding in our younger veterans today that we need to engage with all of our citizenry. For the more elderly veteran like myself, back from the Vietnam era, our understanding of working with others is there, but it was tainted by the fact that we were not appreciated during that era. I personally was spit at uh, in uniform in the 1970s and unfortunately that still remains with me. I, I have to learn to forgive and, and somehow forget as well. So it's very important for all of us to continue to work in this vein for the one goal. And whatever we need to do individually will, with every opportunity exerted help us all collectively. And so my career has spanned 30 years. I volunteered during the Vietnam era. I uh, served as an officer, uh, receiving a commission through ROTC here at the University of Houston. Outstanding program. And then moved on uh, in the military, starting out as a combat arms officer, moving into a branch of more service support, the Adjutant General Corps, and then because I was afforded the opportunity later in my career, went to nursing school, uh, obtained my RN, BSN from Texas Women's University, and so I say in a sense, uh, I've done the full circuit from the combat, taking life, to the medical, saving life. So I've enjoyed my career, But I see now it it doesn't really end, no matter how old we get. The opportunity is still there for us to continue to serve. And that's why I'm grateful to be here with you today, and I know you're probably going to ask me questions I'm not prepared for, but I'm going to give it my best shot.
0: That's okay. It keeps it interesting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And put me in my place. I I need some more humility, we all do. So go
0: ahead there, Jimmy, shoot away. Right. So one thing I was, that you were mentioning earlier is our military, in terms of numbers and enrollment and enlistment and officer candidates, you said that that's declining right now. So my question, Eugene, is how can we fix this and make it so that morale is going up and people are more excited to join the military, whether, it's an, whether you're enlisted or training to be an officer? What are the solutions? Oh,
1: solutions. So let's uh, see what we can do to address that. First of all, I'd make a distinction between morale and propensity. Within the military, there is very high morale. It is a volunteer force today. That started in 1973. Prior to that, it was uh, drafted as well as volunteer. I was a volunteer, but I worked with draftees. And that was that had issues, there was a mixed bag. Morale was an issue in those 1970s and early 1980s. But with the volunteer force, there is, there is no problem with morale. Our soldiers, sailors, airmen today, our Coast Guard, they are highly motivated. It's just that there's not enough of them. The propensity to serve, that's out there in our populace and I was struck recently by a statistic that 55% of American parents do not want their children to even consider joining the military. That's not good. Our young people today are a resource and we want to use them wisely. I think it would be very appropriate if we had some other forms of service, in addition to military, that were mandatory uh, service to the nation, in teaching, in medicine, and the like, but at this point, the only requirement is for young American males age 18 to 25, when you walk in the post office, you see that card up there on the counter to register for the selective service because you could be called someday. Currently with the reserves and our National Guard, those forces are also highly motivated, but they are small as well. And sadly, I saw on the news just this morning, not often treated very well. The National Guardsmen, who after January 6th were in Washington, D.C., protecting the capital still have not been paid. They're they're talking in the Congress of paying them, it's close to half a billion dollars to the several states that sent these uh, National Guard, but they have not yet decided on how to do it. I think the Democrats want a bill where it includes a rapid deployment force. The Republicans are saying, No, let's just pay them and talk about other things later. And so they're butting heads. So the soldiers have not yet been paid. Now their states have paid them, but I mean the government has not paid them for all the work that they did.
0: Right, That's not cool.
1: It shows that there is sort of that lack of the, remember I talked protection. Uh, There needs to be an awareness that we are all in this together. Absolutely. So preserve That's what American citizens do. They need to preserve the force, and that means they need to get paid. So when we think about what can we do to make our force stronger, each of us in our area, in our stovepipe, needs to do what we can do. Citizens who have never served in the military, and will never serve in the military, and and really should not because we can't have a military with everyone, that's serving in it, they still have a job to do. And that job is to make things work. So in that case, I'd say call your congressman and say, hey, we need to get our military personnel paid properly. For those who are in those positions in government, who are protecting the force, they need to make it work. They need to sit down and do the hard work of negotiating so that those are the defenders, who are in front of the wire, have the wherewithal and the resources necessary. Because you have to think about their morale, though high today, is affected by things. I mentioned during Vietnam, our morale was very badly affected by the hatred directed against us by segments of the American people. And as a result, in, uh, for instance, one of the organizations I belong to, Vietnam Veterans of America, there is still a lot of angst in trying to reconcile why were we treated that way when we were doing our duty of defending the nation as best we could given the orders we were given. So we need a full court press. Every American has to realize they have a part in the defense of their nation and doing their part will raise the morale of us all, will add to the propensity of young people seeing the military as a viable opportunity for them to give service, and then in the end, we'll have a better defended country. No doubt.
0: I think that's a, a great solution to kind of deal with what's currently going on, the things that you've seen that a lot of people out there aren't necessarily seeing. And next, we'll go ahead and move on to the next topic. Can you tell us about your family? I know you have a lot of, is it one or two family members that are currently serving as well?
1: Oh, well, well, all of us have the greatest children in the world, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm talking out there, I'm sure, to the audience. Everyone who has children, ours are the best. Right, right. Well, I'm here to tell you, mine are the best. (laughs) I have two a son and a daughter. My son, who just turned 30 last month, is a combat pilot in the United States Air Force. In fact, he just returned two weeks ago from his fourth, I say fourth, combat tour, uh, Iraq. He's been twice in Iraq, once in Afghanistan, and one combat tour in Libya. He's a uh, Reaper pilot, uh, loves his work, but now, uh, Reaper's, Reaper's a drone, right? That is the RQ-9 drone, the remotely piloted aircraft. Seeing things that are changing in our government, uh, he's coming back and he's going to get into the reserves, and maintain his uh, military connection. But he's uh, shared with me that he's thinking, maybe I should get into commercial piloting and maybe I'll fly you somewhere someday, Dad, when you board on one of the planes down at Hobby or Bush Airport. My daughter, just the opposite. Uh, she would save the whales, uh, uh, literally. She is a, uh, focused on marine biology, her bachelor's is in biology, and she has a master's now in, get this, environmental sustainability.
0: Okay. So she's mm-hmm. gonna
1: be one of those great citizens who supports and, and does that work that is necessary. Uh, she's looking now to, she's a director of a commercial lab that does uh, assay work, but she's thinking of moving into uh, other fields that are more blossoming today in the world of environment and sustainability. So both of them are my pride. My lovely wife and I, Myrna, uh, are uh, Joy is dancing. Actually, we met dancing. That may get it right, because if she watches this, uh, nine years ago. <laughs>
0: you have the exact date. <laughs> hey, I March, didn't know you were a dancer, though.
1: March the 4th. And and uh, yes, oh, yes, I've done competitive ballroom. We military are not as dull and (laughs) dowdy as you think. Stop watching all these Hollywood movies. You're getting a skewed perspective. We're very normal people. You know, I would just tell you, uh, in the military, I've known many uh, uh, Rangers, Green Berets, uh, Delta. They're normal people. We're, We're not screamers. We're not Rambos. We're just like you. We take our children to school in the morning and then we do that important work that we feel called to do, which is defend the constitution. Right. Yeah,
0: totally true. Although I'm a big fan of Rambo. <laughs> I am too. <laughs> Love that movie and his character.
1: He spoke to us Vietnam era. Yeah.
0: Sylvester Stallone?
1: Yes, you know, in Rambo 1, he said to the colonel uh, are we going to get it right next time? And the, and the colonel said, well, it depends on you, Rambo. And I think that is true. We, we Vietnam era, we need to work on forgiving the American people and then doing what we need to do to contribute back to our great country, as many are doing and as I'm trying to do, because it was a tumultuous time. We think this time is the only difficult time we have in our nation's history with the political infighting. There's always every generation is gonna have its challenges. So you have to stay above the water and keep your eye focused on the goal, which is caring and concern for each other, compassion, understanding for each other's differences, embracing those differences, but all under the rule of law, of our Constitution. That Constitution of the United States is like a contract. And when you sign a contract for, say, a car, you are held to that contract, aren't you? Yes. Oh, yeah. That is correct. Well, when we were born, we signed a contract literally to the Constitution of the United States. And it has in there, as I just iterated, preserve, protect, and defend. We have to do that. We have to follow its laws. We have to do the best we can and not be Contract breakers.
0: I totally agree with them on that as well. Yeah, we we have to have a nation of law and order If we don't have that we will not have a nation
1: So true and if we go to the extremes you will never get justice from either extreme If we stay focused on the median on what is our great nation's uh, great assets, which is our rule of law and our ability to negotiate and work together will stay a great nation. Absolutely. And then we'll have what's necessary when the next need arises, whatever it may be, militarily, economically, medically, financially, all of those
0: areas. Right, and we need that for so that the next generation can live in comfortably.
1: And be happy like me. And be
0: happy. <laughs> and, and live in peace as well. So true. Yeah. So next, I want to go on to your military decorations and the, war, uh, the wars that you've been in. I know you described it a bit already. Uh, you don't have to go into that much detail, but kind of like in a nutshell, and also the roles that you had in those, those conflicts.
1: Certainly. Uh, well, usually you would ask, you would look at a soldier's or a military person's chest, and you'd look at all those ribbons and go, so what do these mean right. here?
0: I know you have quite a bit. <laughs>
1: Well my favorite one, my favorite for myself, is one most military would not think should be that. It is the National Defense Service ribbon. And it's one that you get by just being in the military during a time of armed conflict. And here's why that one is more important to me than all the meritorious service and commendation and the like. I have my foot in two camps pre 9-11 post 9-11 I received an NDSM for service during Vietnam I received another one for Desert Shield Desert Storm and you put a star on the original ribbon when you add and since recalled as a retiree recall for Iraq Afghanistan I received another star. So I have two stars, in addition to my NDSM, signifying the three major conflicts of the last half century. Now, I must honestly say, in the many different organizations and groups I go to, I have yet to encounter another person like myself who has an NDSM with two stars on it. I hope there are some out there. Let me know, I'd like to meet you. We'll have to start our own little support group. <laughs>
0: That is outstanding.
1: But it's very rare. Right. So I'm very proud of that. As service goes, when you're in the service for as many years as I was blessed to be, you have the opportunity to do many things. I've had uh, overseas assignments as well as here in the States. I've worked at Training and Doctrines Command. Uh, In fact, I served under... General Martin Dempsey, who went on to be President Obama's Chairman of the Joint Chiefs. I've served in Force Com, the Forces Command. I've served in Southern Command, which is all of uh, Latin America, our support there. I was the Deputy Commander at Puerto Rico, at Fort Buchanan, and because we had a terrible hurricane, something we know about here in Houston, Right. But in Puerto Rico in 1999, we had Hurricane Georges, which was an awful hurricane. Because of it, and being the Deputy Commander, I became the Emergency Operations Center Manager, somewhat like uh, County Commissioner Judge Emmett was during Hurricane Harvey. I was that for our military forces in Puerto Rico and throughout the Caribbean at that time, and, and received a humanitarian service award for that. I also had the need to serve in 1992. I happened to be in Los Angeles for the LA riots. So that was a very unfortunate era of our history. Remember, in March, in January 6th, we sent the National Guard. In Los Angeles in 1992, it was so bad, not only did we have the Guard, we had to call the active army up. So I was with 9th Regiment Manchus from Fort Org and was in uh, support for their activities there, and uh, saw a lot that really made me realize it's sad when we fight, but it's fortunate that we have the processes to bring our country back together. In the medical area, as a nurse, when I was serving at uh, national level, I was with the three-star command, Army Accessions Command, in charge of all of our training centers for the Army throughout the United States, your Fort Jacksons, uh, your Fort Hoods, your Fort uh, Knox's and the like. 132,000 trainees at any one time are in these centers. And because I was the nurse on that team, it was right at that time in 2009, we had the swine flu, Mm. H1N1, remember Mm. that?
0: Yes, barely.
1: That was before COVID. But at that time, it was very critical. So I was made the project officer for Heaney, as we called it, H1. We turned the one into an I, so (laughs) our slang for it would be Heaney. So I was in charge of that for all of our training centers to coordinate the activities. Fortunately, it didn't turn into as bad a situation as COVID has. But I saw how we had the opportunity to lay the groundwork. I think uh, that helped us at least have the floor from which started this time around. And I would say we better get in the lane because there will be next times down the road. And lastly, I'd point out I was, in 1999, I was the Army's designated project officer for the transfer of the Panama Canal from the United States to the Republic of Panama. I was the Army representative on that transfer team since I was there in Puerto Rico as the deputy commander at Fort Buchanan, I had the opportunity to write a 250 page operations plan to do that. That was very insightful, working with a foreign government, working with all the different agencies in the United States, federal, state. Uh, Over the 92 years that we had the Panama Canal, Over three different Corps of Engineers became involved. Usually you have one Corps of Engineer. Here in Houston, we have one Corps of Engineer. The Panama Canal had three. So working, it was a very complex, multi-layered task, and that's why it took so many pages of planning that I was responsible for and then in the transfer, the activities that uh, occurred there. You learn a lot over 70 years and in 30 years in the military. That's why you're here. to
0: to enlighten us (laughs) and share your experiences and wisdom
1: Uh, I hope there's some wisdom in there I've learned that wisdom comes only with the application of knowledge and with a heart where you try to understand why people are and things are the way they are and if there's anything I convey today so that people understand what the military really is like and what uh, officers sergeants and enlisted are like, it's that we will, we really do listen leadership you can only be a great leader if you're a great follower and to be a great follower you have to be a great listener so when you become a great listener and you're a great follower well then you can be a great leader you can't do it any other way if you just put someone in who hasn't learned how to work with people and be a follower they may not prove to be the best leader. So it's very important to understand in the military we profess what we espouse and we listen and that's something I've learned over the years and I think that has given me some insight which you would call wisdom and I I am always glad to share that with younger people. I've had the opportunity to speak to different groups over the past year. Spoken uh, to the YMCA here in Houston uh, uh, on Armed Forces Day. And I uh, spoke with the uh, to the Rotary Club here in Houston on um, uh, Memorial Day. Uh, looking forward here to Veterans Day. Well, those are the three big holidays in the military calendar. Armed right. Forces Day, which most Americans have no idea. Right, yeah. Uh, that's-, that's back in May, that's when we celebrate Soldiers, sailors, who are alive.
0: Active duty. Exactly,
1: and on active duty. Memorial Day is when we commemorate. We don't celebrate. We commemorate those who have died in defense of our nation. And then Veterans Day, which is coming up November the 11th, is old gentlemen and ladies like myself, usually, who are are still alive but are trying to be of service still and to share that wisdom. And so I look forward uh, in past We've had the parade downtown, I've been on the University of Houston float. Uh, My dear sister, Nancy, uh, uh, is a coordinator there at the alumni office and she said, we gotta have a veteran on the float, so Eugene, you're the one. So I I participated uh, gladly. And meeting young people, for instance, at that parade you have all the JROTC units. Oh right. It's just very heartening to see young people wanting to be a part of their nation's
0: uh,
1: Armed forces. Right. Now very, very few JROTC ever go on active duty. Maybe most people don't know that. It's like less than 2%. I didn't know that. Most of them are just in it for the experience and to appreciate the discipline that the program affords. And that's very good. It makes better citizens. And all of us need to be better citizens. In fact, I just learned recently Space Force is the newest armed force, and there will be a JROTC unit designated here in Houston as a Space Force unit. I believe it's going to be in the Klein School District. And so, if there's someone out there who wants to be an astronaut someday, right? JROTC Space Force. They need to get over there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Love to go visit that group. Oh, it's going to be You're something in the I'll, near future. You I'm and I, very together. excited about Let's that. Go. We should do that. Yeah. Ooh-ha. Go meet the commanders and indeed and see their plan
1: because I think you were in the Air Force at one point
0: I was a candidate I had help medical issues that prevented me from continuing
1: well sir you put your hat in the ring and that's what counts and today you're doing the good work you do all of us have different paths don't we
0: yes absolutely but yeah as you said I I tried so I can say that much but go ahead
1: (laughs) (laughs) well then we will see you down the road perhaps someday uh, Flying out, uh, as a private pilot, because I see Maybe. that spirit in you. You know, I see it in my son. I looked up one time, the personality profile of a pilot. And it's very interesting, uh, very calm, very assertive, very confident. And I look at my son and I go, wow, he should be my leader. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's got all those traits. And that right, right. I understand now why pilots <laughs> are pilots. All and right, I see that
0: man. in you. You would definitely oh. make a great pilot. So, Eugene, thank you so much. <laughs> I, I take that to heart, and that that I'm thrilled to hear that kind of feedback coming from a former lieutenant colonel. <laughs> <laughs> so if you would uh, explain to the listeners that may not be as well-versed on military roles in our government, can you explain what the chairman of joint chiefs of staff is? Ah, uh, yes. You had mentioned that term earlier. Yes, indeed. I feel like it's not as well. Some individuals may not know what exactly that is.
1: Mm-hmm. The Chairman of the Joint Chiefs is a concept that was created in 1986 in the uh, Goldwater-Nichols Act that reformed our military. When you hear today on the news things like in CENTCOM today, which means Central Command, which is Afghanistan and Iraq, that was a product of that congressional legislation in 1986, it divided the world into 16 regions. Here in the United States, we are in Northcom, which is uh, Mexico, Canada, and the United States. That is one of the syncdoms, commander in chiefs. So there are four star commander in chiefs of all of these 16 regions. They can be Navy, they can be Air Force, they can be Army. In some of them, they rotate to where it would be a Air Force four star one time and a Navy for star the next time. Uh, The chairman of all of this has the ear of the president.
0: So it works directly with the president.
1: Works directly with the president. So as to be like that conduit between the president and all of these, we call them synchdoms, C-I-N-C, commander in chief, C-I-N-C. So all of these synctums are led by military. The chairman coordinates all of that activity as well as the Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines have their chiefs of staff who uh, are under the chairman and they are the source from which that candidate to be the chairman are chosen. So right now, for instance, we have a Army chairman of the Joint Chiefs. In the past, we've had Navy, uh, uh, Air Force, um, Marine. It rotates. We currently have an Army chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Uh, Most people will probably most connect with uh, Colin Powell during Desert Shield, Desert Storm. Yes. He was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, and as you recall, that was in 1990, and I said this legislation was 1986. He was the very, one of the very first who exercised that role, and you see how well Desert Storm went for us defeating the opposition within 100 hours because he was there in that coordinating role. He was able to assist the civilians in the government, the president and all of his staff, to understand and to assist the military to understand the civilians since he was in that pivotal position.
0: As a liaison.
1: Exactly. And that's why it went so well. Right. So to be the chairman of the Joint Chiefs is not something that's always been.
0: Relatively right. new. Relatively new. If Relatively you look at the whole history of the military.
1: In the last 30 years. Right. But it's worked out so well that uh, only improvements, I think, can be made to it. As you see in the military today, it's necessary for us in the military on active duty to be apolitical, which is why they try to stand back, not get engaged in politics, but to be the defenders of the nation. And so that's why they, sometimes you see on the news, they'll say things that they say, uh, they should not get involved in politics. And so maintain that position of liaison uh, and leadership. Again, good leaders are good listeners so one experience of mine have been general flag officers and that means when you have a star you have a flag they are good listeners and i think most americans don't realize our military is actually a very compassionate organization it cares for its own and it cares for our nation and it really is an amazing family to be a part of those years that i served when they asked me to come back after retirement, as a recall, retired recall, I was ready. And if they asked me today, I would do it again. Because it's just an amazing organization, our American military. We're not out there to conquer the world. We're there to secure freedom. And as I said earlier, freedom leads to happiness. You can't have happiness unless you have freedom to exercise your talents and your ability. So that is how it starts at the top with the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, works down to the Joint Chiefs, and then to all the different sync commanders throughout our force.
0: Okay, yeah, so very important role. And as I said, some, a lot of individuals out there that have not served in the military may not be as familiar with that position, yet it's so important in our political system. It is indeed. And the good thing about all this knowledge and wisdom you're sharing with us, they are totally applicable to anything you're trying to do in life, even in business or personal life as well. And from my personal experiences in life, application is the key. You could have all the knowledge in the world in your brain, but if it is not applied, it's almost useless. (laughs) You're talking the walk. Absolutely, yeah. I always... I, I. I always, like I said, application is what I constantly try to do. And
1: and you're going to make mistakes. And this is for the that's young part people out That's part of the process. Right. You must make mistakes. Right. There is no option. But get yourself back up, dust yourself off, right. learn from that mistake, and don't repeat it again. A very uh, trope phrase we use in the military is, uh, sorry, sir, won't happen again, sir.
0: Yeah, I rarely say this in public, but I have made a lot of mistakes in my life as well. But I learned, and I do not make the same mistake again.
1: And to have compassion for each other, as I have for you and you for me, that's how we move forward.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And another thing we had discussed was about mentors in the community. I feel like moving forward, we're we're going to need more mentors out Mm. there that's guiding the next generation. Oh, yes. Even myself personally, I've had some world-class mentors myself and that has sh- shaped me to who I've become now. Yes, And I'm sure yes. you've had a tremendous amount of mentors as well.
1: Well, I wish I would have had more.
0: Okay. <laughs> you
1: right. know, the idea is very great. A lot of corporations and organizations uh, talk to talk. They don't always walk the talk. Right. A mentor really is someone who has your best interests at heart, who's been where you want to go, if they can listen to you and see where you want to go and then marry their wisdom to your intentions, it's absolutely awesome. And when I worked at the Pentagon, many of those people up there will tell you it was a mentor who did that, that inspired them to get there. I'm sure it's the same in uh, business and and other areas as well but unless you have that you're reinventing the wheel so it is important but we don't really do it very well in our society and certainly not right. uh... from what i've seen out here in the business world uh, i have tried to do that particularly in my nursing world okay to take yeah. on the opportunity to mentor students. Students will come up to me and say when I'm teaching, um, well, uh, professor, just tell us what we need to know on the test. I have to do a little mentoring.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, Eugene, for the sake of time, we're gonna move forward. Go ahead. And if you can also briefly describe your nursing career and then uh, your career as a professor, and then some of the military organizations that you've been a part of. Certainly. So three-part question there.
1: All right. I have been a nurse. When I first retired from the military in 2000, I was looking around to do something that was still of service. And I decided on medicine because I thought it was so important uh, to uplift average human beings by giving them some healing. And I decided since I'm so old, medical school's out of the question. Let's go into nursing. So, if I had known how tough it was going to be going through nursing school, right. I would've changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, oh. But, uh, got through that. Uh, four years of uh, nursing, and got the BSN. Uh, then went into practice, clinical practice. My specialty is psychiatric nursing. That's when the military saw that. That's when they called me back. to be a nurse uh, in support of operations for Iraq, Afghanistan. Then I came back uh, from that uh, tour and started to teach, uh, was a director of a school of nursing, a vocational nursing school here in Houston, and then uh, taught at another school and became a adjunct professor at the University of Texas in the medical center. And I always try to share with my nursing students the military aspect of medicine. Uh, Medicine starts in ancient Greece, and Hippocrates, who's the father of medicine, is quoted as saying, if you would be a physician, then follow the military. I would share with my nursing students how through the ages the military has taken care of those who are wounded and improved our understanding of medical science Up until today, when many of the things that were uh, developed during Iraq and Afghanistan, miniaturized equipment, um, quick clot, which even today for uh, people who have uh, hemophilia is a great lifesaver. It's a bandage that the moment you put it on, within seconds it coagulates the blood. That was developed during the Iraq-Afghanistan period. So many things the military medicine has brought to the fore that student nurses don't know that. So I would give right. a seminar on military medicine and mentor them on understanding the role of medicine in the military. And that is how I strove to do my small bit, is in educating them. Education is the key.
0: Yes. Okay. My
1: two children, I started educating them from the day they were born with the Doman method, and then as they got a little older, with Montessori. My first wife was a Montessori teacher, and so they have never had a day when they were not in school until they finished, each of them, their master's degrees. Wow. That's important. And anybody out there who's thinking, well, you know, what, what do we need today for our society to be better? Well, we need a more educated people. I agree. That's the key to solving all the problems. And I think more educated people will be better mentors and then better mentoring will result in us not infighting so much and seeing each other as enemies because intelligent people don't do that. And if they do, I'm shocked. They are not intelligent. So the key would be that we can start with our young people day one to give them proper opportunities montessori is great because it allows you to move in that direction where you feel called instead of a lockstep approach it is good to have standard education as a starting point but then to continue from that point i think both of my children uh, were blessed with that and they reaped the rewards abundantly and are continuing to do so I'm very proud that I had a part in that and mentored them. So now I'm trying to do that as I encounter in my experiences in the medical area, as a veteran, in different veterans' organizations, and the like.
0: Okay. And can you explain which organizations you're a part of and what were your roles? Once again, briefly. Oh, boy. We have to wrap up here pretty soon. Well,
1: then let's – I'll make it as brief as I can. Sure. (laughs) Uh, I'm a past president of the Military Officers Association, which is the largest – Uh, officers group here in the Houston area Uh, past president of military officers of the World Wars which is the oldest Officers Association Uh, past vice president of the Association of the US Army which is probably one of the largest uh, military veterans organizations Uh, I've been on the uh, committees in the American Legion I've been on the board of uh, the reserve officer Association I, I've actually been on the board of the VA hospital on the iQuest team for um, managing research at the hospital, I'm a member of the Disabled Veterans of America, of the Vietnam Veterans of America, of the Wounded Warrior Project, of AMVETS, uh, I should have made a list. I, I made actually I made quite a list, a list already. <laughs> for, I made a list not too long ago, and I counted wow. I was twelve organizations that I'm a life member of. Right, and if there's uh, more out there, uh, uh, worthy ones, I'm going to join. You're ready and willing. Sign me up.
0: <laughs> quite a amount of experience there. It but, never ends. But thank you for for doing all that work,
1: Jimmy. It's an honor to be in your presence because I know you're serving in your lane of activity. I'm serving in mine. Uh, as we put all that together, we can only be a better country as a result of that. And all of us pull together. I and agree it's just this. so great that we continue to try to serve uh, America's needs, and they're gonna get more difficult in the future. I mean, we always I thought all the artificial intelligence would solve it for us. And I saw recently where Elon Musk said, Beware, artificial intelligence is going to bring up the demons. Right. There is no simple solution.
0: Agreed. And the last question here is, so what are your plans for the future, Eugene? And then after that, your top three success tips for to be successful <laughs> and prosper in life, no matter what you're doing. So Whoa. two-part question.
1: All right. What do I can plan to continue to do? I, I am continuing to keep my eyes focused on serving those individuals in the political arena, especially young veterans who wanna get into politics. Okay. To give them the support, politics is a very difficult business today, right. unless you have support around you, regardless of which party or group you're with. Uh, research has shown, I'm a psych nurse, when you get up in front of a group, 10% of the people hate you right away, love you right away, and the other 80% in the middle are kind of just waiting to see if you're going to screw up or if you're going to impress them. You need support in order to have the wherewithal to get up in front of groups and do that important work of leading our nation. So I'm actually getting involved today more and more with supporting young veterans in the political arena so that they can at least have their opportunity. So Uh that's what I'm working towards and doing. Three tips. Well, you know, General Patton always had three tips. They were real simple. Attack, attack, attack. <laughs> I'd like to make it's mine quite a the little, little more precise. Sure, sure. <laughs> First one is something I, I've been saying here. Learn to listen. You know, we're real easy at talking and not hearing. Turn off mouth. Mm-hmm open ears tip number one tip number two you don't know it all so don't act like you know it all don't be telling other people and using that finger or telling them when you are encountering the opportunity sit down with people try to understand and then together reach the solution and last me i would say stay joyful if whatever you're doing does not give you joy, quit doing that. Find another lane of activity. Unless you're joyful, that defeats everything. I, I like what Mattress Mack here in Houston would always say: uh, "Find a job that gives you joy, and you'll never work another day in your life." Right. So find that joy.
0: Yep, that's. I could have said it better. I'm sure you could. <laughs> All righty, well. We are wrapping things up here to all the listeners and viewers. Thank you so much for tuning in. And our next show will be next Monday, 12 to 1 p.m. Jimmy Kim, signing off here. Have a great day.